Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, I ask you to please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, where you can access all our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in the faith journey. Enjoy. Many of you know I wasn't here for six weeks. It's been over a month now when I uh, ended uh, a six-week break that I asked uh, our, our, our present board members if I could take coming off of the uh, death of my mom and, and other things and uh, never fail. It's always a sign. Until the end of the world. This shall be the sign that you preach on Moss Avenue. There will be a train every time. And I love the fact that... So, when I was getting ready to, to, to take my, my journey, uh, I wrote this on May the 31st in the morning. Sabbatical, first prayer. Lord, I thank... I ask you for an explosion to occur in my soul and match the expression of joy and compassion revealed in your shepherd heart and fatherly embrace at our turning. I ask for deep influence from your presence to revive and resurface the wellsprings of warm welcome and worship and a refocused mission. I ask you for a renewed abiding over these days and weeks. I ask for a breaking away from trafficking spirits and torrential attacks of the enemy. Please be my guard, O Lord. Jesus, bring my soul up again into breaking of day, like Jacob, after the night ended. He did. He really did. He really did. And I want to thank you guys for giving me that opportunity to take a break. It was during that break that this series came to me. And I wrote a lot of things. Jesus, the sinners, and the funnel of favor. Last week, I talked about Gen Z which is the, I don't know how they figure out these, these classifications, but it's somewhere like age 9 to 24. And I talked about how they are and will be the most influential uh, group of people in, in, in society, uh, like it or not. Um, and I talked about believing and hoping for and praying for a, a Gen J uh, remnant within the Gen Z to, to rise up. Gen J, uh, re and I reflected upon Joshua, uh, a young leader coming up and leading leaders and leading a, a generation into God's promises, God's power, etc. And then also an awakening idea within Gen Z in this Gen J that like King Josiah would get a find the how the work the word of God again in the house of the Lord. The word of God had been lost in the house of the Lord in the generation of King Josiah. 
there's a research group called Institute 360 where they did a recent survey of baby boomers, uh, Gen Xers, Millennials, Gen Zers, and asked them questions and to see whether the, how their response of, uh, lined up with a biblical worldview. And the questions they asked and the answers, uh, worldview meaning this, uh, does God exist? How did everything begin? What's wrong with the world? What's the ultimate solution? Who am I? Why am I here? Am I living a good life? And what happens after I die? So these questions uh, were, were crafted to find out what people think about God and about origins and about problems, problem solving and identity and purpose and morality and destiny. The, re the results came back like this out of what's still left in uh, the living baby boomer generation. 10% had a biblical worldview on those things. Gen X had a 7%, millennials had a 6, and Gen Z had a 4. Um, we are living in a time where generations, but specifically a Gen Z generation, is starving for perfection and purpose, but with a worldview that's only 4% biblical. We intentionally prioritize budgeting toward ministry focus upon Gen Z. And we have been doing so now for close to probably 15 years when I came back from a time away in Atlanta and asked that present board, would you be willing to, to go young and create the imagery uh, so that a young generation believes by seeing and hearing and, and putting our money where our mouth is that they're the church of now, not someday. And I'll tell you, I can mark the turn of our church toward uh, increase of people, of all, uh, mostly of that, when, when, when our leaders, our spiritual leadership said yes to that. That deserved an applause. Uh, yeah. Yeah, right, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure. I gotcha. So, it's a generation that's loved by God immensely, and they don't know it at the very same time. And he sees them, and he knows them, and he longs to reach them, and I know he's going to. So, I want to talk about what I talk about today, but in that context as well, and add a little autobiographical window, because of course I am a Gen Zer. No, uh, but, uh, no but, uh, but for some reason, God has put that in my heart. Um, so I try to think of the kind of kid I was uh, walking through middle school hallways at Washington Middle School, where all the smart kids went. Anyway, I'm just kidding. I saw an Allegheny friend over to my one side here, and I just wanted to throw that little dig in. But, um, but anyway, uh, what kind of kid was I? And I'll talk about that in a little bit later. Um, but I knew the biblical, at, at that age of my life, I knew the biblical answers. I could have led the, the town center to the Lord. I just didn't know the Lord, but I knew all the answers in the book. 
I knew the biblical answers to all those questions in my head, but it wasn't in my heart. And what I never knew then, like so many, like me then and, and, and so many now, is that God wanted to be very close to me. I didn't know that. I knew it up here. But the frustration of my life has been not what I don't know, but what I know and, and, the, and the big gulf between knowledge and experience. I'll come back to that at the end. I made a commitment in this series to go full court press Bible center, centered from the Garden of Eden to the cross of Jesus Christ over all seven of these messages, and I've really done that. Um, we've talked about the funnel being wide open at the beginning and the nations turned from God and then God selected a man and selected a nation as a parenthesis and he taught them his laws and his ways but the funnel effect took place that narrowed down where that, that nation Israel failed that uh, call but God knew they would and provided a promised one who would come as the funnel would narrow down to a single human being and that is Jesus as we know. And in that funnel, then when Jesus lived his life out as he did, God flipped the funnel and it went from narrow to fullness again. And the whole world now, the whole world can enter into this loved by God gospel. Uh, the funnel pointed to a promised son, uh, a lamb provided, a suffering servant of Yahweh and an anointed one of the Lord. And when we get to the New Testament and we read it, we find these men that walked with Jesus and they knew him, John being one of them. And I want you to see this passage in the Gospel of John where John, who was known as the disciple that Jesus loved, you know, he loved, us, he loved them all, but there was something there with that. And John says, he was with God in the beginning. Notice the Eden and Genesis motif. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Do you hear the Genesis? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory imagery again. We talked about the Sinai glory. We, we didn't even have time to get into the show me your glory part in the Exodus 34. Oh, go there. If you, go there, man. It's an, an amazing, it's an amazing passage. But we observed his glory. And it wasn't like Sinai. It wasn't like fire on the mountain. It wasn't thunder. It was this kind of glory. The glory as of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. We walked with this one who was the Bible living, and he had this funnel of favor on him like nobody, and he shared that funnel of favor with everyone. The glory of God. That's what it is. In human flesh. Jesus always knew he was loved by God, didn't he? If you read the Gospels, that's one thing he knew. He knew, a lot. He knew everything, but that's what he knew. He knew he was loved by his Father. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was also one who had an up-close and personal, this close encounter of the God kind. Here's how he describes it. Again, notice the Exodus imagery, the deliverance uh, symbolism, for the grace of God has appeared. That was the big thing about Moses. The motivational thing of Moses was God appeared to him. 
God appeared to that generation. They saw God in his glory. Well, he, Paul says the grace of God has appeared, bringing exodus, bringing salvation, not to Israel, for all people. What a phrase, huh? To describe Jesus in the flesh. What a refreshing, you know what it would be great? What a refreshing uh, imagery. Here's this man who has, is saying that, that he's been delivered through this revelation of Jesus. And Paul was somebody who was ensconced in a paradigm of the law that was so powerful and dominant, it blinded him and his companions from being able to understand God's revelation in Jesus of Nazareth. There was no way they could see it. No way. Because what they had been stamped to see. And when God shows up in human form, Jesus Christ, that is, Paul, when the light of the glory of God by the Spirit opens his eyes, literally, that, to realize he had been, that, he, that Jesus wasn't somebody breaching the commandments or breaking the, God's purposes or blaspheming the revelation of God. No, he was the revelation of God. And he says it even more colorfully and warming and heartwarming in the next passage in Titus when he says, I love this, this would be one you could just put all the other Bible studies away for about 30 days and just ask your friend Alexa who lives with you in your house probably or Siri, her friend, I guess they're friends, and just say, hey, every morning, will you remind me to just meditate on this? What an amazing mindset to have. And it's this, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Hey, can you do better than that? Imagine a room full of kids or a dorm hallway where they say that it was like this, but when the kindness and love of God for man appeared through my friend. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. See all that imagery? Through the, re, through the washing of a regenesis. He washed us and gave us a new genesis. And through the renewal by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit on the water on the day one of creation was the Spirit on the water that, that brought into our life a brand new new. Not an old rehab, re refurbished, but a completely new you. He poured out His Spirit on us. See the final imagery? I was gestalting this series to get us to here so that things would start popping Yes, you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, so the whole thing is, is that Jesus, then and now, he longs to be close to you and me. This is what I love about Jesus that's become even more clear to me is that he chose the sinner's side without justifying sins. But he chose the sinner's side He did. He came down into our waters. Like in Luke 3, John the Baptist has been sent by God to preach a message of repentance for the, re, re, for the forgiveness of sins. And, and, and he said, I don't want you just to come here under the denominational thing or whatever and just feign that you're going to go through the motions. He literally called them out and, and they confessed. Listen, can you imagine this? Wouldn't this have been fun? I mean, anybody nosy in the room? Wouldn't you have loved to sit on the banks? They confessed their sins before. before. 
Did you? And while this is going on, and it wasn't in the in the ink blue oceanic clear as the sky waters of a bay in South Florida. It was in the muddy, murky waters of the Jordan that there was no dignity in that look. It wasn't like you were sending selfies out standing by the Jordan going, on vacay. No, it would be like a mud puddle. Hey, it was like that. And they not only had to confess their sins, they had to get down in that kind of water. And here's the thing. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. And that Messiah comes and goes down in that water to be baptized too. The God of Sinai, baptized too. And John says, we all have a need. I have a need for you to baptize us. And you come to me. He was coming to all. He was going to fulfill the funnel. He was going to fill that funnel up with forgiveness and flip it. And this is where he started. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. Jesus knew that from the start. The father wanted everybody else to know it. And do you know, when we receive Christ, whether we feel it or not, we come into the kingdom of the beloved son, which means feeling it or not, we are beloved like that. Jesus came to offer a space for everybody to reach God. He did it in the turning over the tables of the temple. You know why he did that? It wasn't what they were doing only. It was where they were doing what they were doing. They had set a marketplace up in the court of the Gentiles. Meaning they crowded out the place that God even allotted for people that weren't in the covenant to come into the temple and worship God. The non-circumcised God-fearers and, and the, and the God-fearers in the holy club blocked that place off and sold, and, and sold uh, uh, at too high a price the doves and the pigeons, which was for the poor. And they raised the price on that, put it where they shouldn't have sold because that was a free space for the pagans to come in and they blocked it off and that's what got Jesus lit because Jesus came with a passion to be close to us and that's why he flipped it and he, and he says don't make my father's house a, mer- a place of merchandise because my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations he always wanted to create a space to reach God and if the church clogged it up he flipped it He always wanted to be close to the sinners without justifying their sin. He he does that for everybody, and we've seen it in the Gospels at at different times. Uh, He he, he creates a space because of the empty searches and the empty thirsts that that you see uh, in the life of the woman at the well, who represents a lot of us, all of us. And he says to her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Gift, living. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but the water I give will become in that person a well of water that springs up always to eternal life. And she says, what we all would say, 
when he takes the scales of all of the other viewpoints of God and ourselves, we would say what she said, Lord, evermore give me this water. And he says, well, he also wants to make sure everybody knows that he longs to reach out to people who have lived in multiple fails. Multiple fails. I got a few of those. Somebody back there waved. That person and I, we have both failed at least twice in our lives. <laughs> Just small. Uh, we're hoping your anointings rub off on all of us. He says, go call your husband and come back. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right. You've had five. And the man you're with now is not your husband. You've spoken truthfully. And as we all do when that happens, we don't want that to get too close. So we go, Trump! Or we go, or the Baptists! Or we go, the whatevers! Or we go, Hillary! Or we go... Bethel, their music's weird, or we go, they clap too much, or they don't clap enough, or they ask for money, all the, whatever. And she did that. But he got her back around. He got her back around. You know, he does that with all of us. He is so patient and kind and so gentle, but he knows how to turn up the heat, turn up the screws, but in such a way that it will bring you back. Here's a woman, another woman caught in the act of adultery. And it's interesting that the most religious were the most interested in that. And they put her in the center of the temple. And we know the story. He says, he drives all those wonderful folk away. And he looks and he says, where are all your accusers? And she says, no one. He goes, neither. It's the God of Sinai now. Neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. Even to our last breath, this Jesus longs to be close to us. Even to our last breath. He will save a person in their last breath. I had the privilege of leading one of my uncles on the last day of his life. And he was a John Wayne type. Very intimidating. And the Lord led me to go to the hospital in Baltimore and I was scared spitless literally because he loved me but he was John Wayne man and I was a squirt gun shooter and he I went down and talked about the Yankees talked about this that and the other all of a sudden he looked at me as a dying man grabbed me by the hand said boy come here and do what you were sent to do howdy 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 <laughs> literally literally But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he looks and says, Jesus, God, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus says, truly, I think if there was ever a joyful moment in all of the times you got to say something to a sinner, I think this was the one. Truly, I tell you, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Of all the people that he talk, touched for God, this guy gets in before any of them on the same day Jesus goes in. That's the kind of Jesus we're talking about here, guys. Yes. You know what's amazing in the gospel is that uh, the sinners, so-called, the sinners were called sinners by the so-called saints. 
their sainthood and their holiness pursuit had a demarcation line of us and them. Us, we're holy, they ain't. They're the sinners, we're the saints. But the truth was, through the gospels and the parables, Jesus said the sinners were also the so-called saints. And in Luke 15, the tax collectors and the sinners were all crowding around to listen to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses started to grumble. This man is friendly with sinners. He even, oh dear Lord, eats with them. You know why? Because Jesus of Nazareth, from the time he was born, to the time he became aware of his, who he was at, at, in incremental evolutionary ways, as he grew up to by the time of the age of 12, he knew that God was his unique father, knew that he was the only person on the earth that lacked one thing. And that one thing was sin in the nature of a soul. And he was the only one, including with his own mother and father, nobody but him. And so he could have he could empathize beyond anything, the greatest empathizer. If you're an empath, God bless you. Nice to meet you, I'm one too. God help us. Um, but with that said, Jesus had at times infinity and could put everybody in the place of a merciful offer to them because everybody, everybody was a sinner. And John goes on to say, indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness. There's the funnel. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Actually, I should have used a different translation because the Christian Standard Bible says came as do many others, but the word is aletheia, and it means realized. It, it, it's saying that God was always this way, but Jesus brought it to light. Jesus helped us realize the grace and kindness of Yahweh in his unique favor that he didn't keep to himself even to the last man's breath. We came into a realization of this grace offered to us in God. I've always been on a quest for that funnel of favor in my life. Johnny Erickson Tata was a teenage girl, a Bible kid, loved the Lord, athletic, and she went uh, on a swimming adventure with some other friends and dove off of something and hit a rock under the surface and broke her neck. And from 17 to now, she's my age, 40-something plus. plus. <laughs> For plus, 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 whatever, you, 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 you figure that out. Um, but she's been a paraplegic ever since. Anyone know who Jer Johnny Erickson Tata is, right? Oh, you got, if you don't, you got to, you got to, you got to look her up. You got to look her up. She can, she can sketch portraits with her feet and her teeth and blow all of us away. But her concept of God, her, her, her message from God about the grace of God in suffering is amazing. But she says this, 
And it's amazing to me that somebody that has gone through something like that even, is able to even embrace this. She says, God's love doesn't vacillate according to how many victories you have over sin or how many times you use his name in your prayers. His love for you goes deeper than mere affection or surface infatuation. Let, that's the key, let the matchless love of God sweep away your doubts and fears. You already have God's attention and you will never lose it. I've always been on a quest for that. I experienced that funnel of favor at age 17. You've all heard me talk about that ad, ad nauseum, of course. But it still stamps my life. I know that feelings good can come and go in the ebb and flow of living. But I distinctly know that there was a time, a season in my life at age 17 when I, the Lord drew me back to him. Or I don't know how. I, I prayed a prayer when I was eight years old. I don't think it took. But maybe it did. I'll let the, the reformers and all those guys figure that out. I don't even care. People will be arguing about all that stuff even after the rapture, I'm sure. Even when God says it, they'll say, yeah, I still don't think that's the way it is. Because I was always told. I know the ebb and feeling uh, flow, it can change, but I had a season where it was just like I lived in uh, I lived in this sunshine favor of the Lord on my life that that regenesist so many things that had been trapped and locked hidden away that, that I had already vowed nobody would ever see or know of me and that began to spring out I went and it happened between uh, the, the, the winter break from fall and spring, um, uh, uh, my freshman year at Allegheny College where I was working on a, on a, uh, on a wasted life uh, degree. <laughs> Spent more time in the, in the pool, uh, swimming, or not uh, the pool hall, in the game room. Uh, I, I, I have no idea. I, 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 have, no, I have no idea. I owe my parents money for that year. Um, <laughs> but I lost that funnel of favor. It never lost me, but I lost it. I lost it because I, since I've been a kid that I can even remember being a kid, and I can remember watching Paul, John, and George at the Strand Theater at three years old and seeing a Reckenbacker uh, guitar and thinking, I want to be those guys. That was a long time ago. So as far back as I can remember, I've had this spongy part of my soul that could, that, that if something negative was said or experienced, uh, I always envy people that apparently they're able to let those things just go off them or, 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 or not even that. And I, would, I don't recommend this and I'm not this kind of guy or, or would just say, you know what? Lunchtime, you and me out behind the dumpster. Boom, pop, pop and then be done with it. I've never been able to do that. That thing goes in there and it's like, 75 years later, <laughs> that's been me. 
and, and it's, and I, I'm so, I really struggle with this because the, the stuff that, the, the, there's nothing bad, nothing like, oh, I can see if you were this, that, or the other. No, no, I don't know why, and it's been part of the thing. Um, that uh, it's, I've, and then I have the other part that judges myself so, so much that with this idealistic ought and should guy. And so you don't talk about that or, or go there because that's, seriously, that, that, that slowed your train? So I, I, I live, I've lived in that kind of thing. In that season in my life at 17, and then it just broke all that, I thought. But I got into different parts of Christian culture with a sponge wide open. I didn't even know there were denominations. I thought there were Catholic and Baptist. <laughs> and, I, and, my, and unbeknownst to me, we were dedicated Baptists. I didn't know that until I went into the kitchen one day and said to my mom, Mom, I'm going to become a Catholic because I like their basketball team. What? <laughs> I didn't know. And their cheerleaders were cuter. And I just thought they were Catholic and Baptist. You know, we were Baptist, we had Baptist cereal, Baptist dog. We had, I think our phone number was Baptist. I don't know. I mean, just any of you there? You may, yeah? The Baptists go in the. I think the only people who go in the, in the pre-trib rapture are the Baptists. I think that's the way. I, at least that's what I've been told. Anyway, um, so I didn't know all this. And I, I was just a sponge. I just, tell me anything about Jesus. Tell me anything. You know, I just read every book and listened to everybody. And I got so wigged out. So, but I had this a drawing toward the harsh and the thunder and the hell and the thing that I just... And being the spongy dude, it just went so deep. And my imagery of God became so rigid. And then along with my natural bent toward that, just did me in. And I was right back to being that kid again, who from elementary school up through middle to high school was this kind of kid. On the outside, I was a happy kid and everybody knew I was loved and was in a loving family. I was talented and gifted in things. And people would tell me, and I knew I was, but when I was uh, about, uh, I don't know, 10 years old, I sang a song at a Baptist church when I was eight years old, and a record producer came up and said, I want to make you, no, no, not really. <laughs> uh, eight years old, and there was like 31 people there, and they went, yay, and it was over. Um, but I, it was a big thing for me to step out like that. But somebody, not in that moment, but one of the friends in my world, and again, it's, it's who you give value to. Somebody that I gave value to and space to said to me, you sound like a girl when you sing. Well, in my spongy life, click. All the king's horses, all the king's men would never hear me sing again. So I passed up so many opportunities to come out and be the person in my giftedness and talents that God had given me to be. There was just no, no, no way, no way that was going to be. 
um, along with other words that were spoken over my life that just, again, if I would say what they were, you'd probably be, you'd be like, what? But to me, and, 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 I, and, it's, and the enemy used that so much in my life to be like, you're different, you're weak, you're whatever. You know, I always thought the devil just spent time with me. <laughs> I just didn't know it was him because those voices sounded like my own. But at 10 years old, I realized that, and I love music, and so I was out doing and being and riding my red spider bike through Cumberland, getting snow cones at the casino up the park and dumping it off, one going down the steps, let's go and get another one, didn't have the money left. I, I had all this fun, all my friends, people think I'm a happy kid. I was, but inside I wasn't. And I would spend a lot of time listening to music. I love music, I always love music, I love singing. And I came across this singer by the name of Karen Carpenter. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Well, you know how I said, you know how I said I knew when I grew up I was going to be a power forward for the Boston Celtics? <laughs> I came to realize that that was sort of like reaching for the stars and a little bit unrealistic. I always knew in reality I was going to marry Karen Carpenter. <laughs> oh, you think I'm lying? Because the way I figured it, she was 21, I was 10. <laughs> if she was five years younger and I was five years older, boom! That's how I thought. You know how you think. The thing was, I could sing like her. And that's no joke. But you can't be a cool sexy rock star band leader singing like Karen Carpenter. My thing was when I would sing my voice tone and pitch for a 10-year-old boy who was pretty close to her, no pun intended with the song, uh, but because of things spoken over my life, my whole, my whole career in music uh, lived and died in my bedroom or my car um, until uh, the pastor's wife of the Central Assembly of God Church that we went to, it seemed like there was 10 million people in it compared to the church we came from, the pastor's wife stood in front of me and uh, I was singing with my, just singing the songs and she turned to me after and said, Mr. She didn't know who I was. I was 17, 8. Mr. Thursday night, 6.30, I want you in this sanctuary. You're in my group. I'm like... <laughs> she had no idea. She had no idea what that did for me. No idea. It was like somebody... You ever see that uh, Instagram reel where the guy's on that big flotation thing out in the lake and someone jumps off and it hits him and goes, boom, and shoots the guy up in the air? When she said that, that's what happened to me. And I went from that day for the next 10 years having opportunities to, to, to use that gift all through the South, all through colleges, all, all through, I mean, just this the world opened up for me and, and just redeemed, redeemed some things in my life. But anyway... 
I, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm really weird. This is gonna, this is gonna, I'm, I'm weird. But I've had this, this, this connection to the, to these Karen Carpenter type people uh, throughout, throughout my life because I've been. I know, I, I know that person. Um, I don't know. Some of you Gen Zers, maybe even millennials, you may heard of her or whatever. Um, she, she was, um, how do you say it? That's what, uh, that's what Lady Gaga said. Adele, Lady Gaga, Carol King, uh, even some, Mick Jagger, even some of the great, like, heavy metal, you know, roll up the sleeve rock and rollers would say, greatest female pop artist, of, singer of all time. And I'm like, you finally arrived at that? You know, it's like, yeah. Um, she was a 16-year-old kid, was a drummer in her brother's band. Her brother, they moved from uh, Connecticut to, to, to California so that her brother Richard could, because he was a genius. He was a kid genius who could arrange and, and, and melody and, and, and symphony. And, and they wanted to get him into the environment, which I, I highly recommend. I got him in the environment where he could flourish. And and nobody knew that she was as talented, and she started to play drums and sing background very, very little in his band, the Rich Carpenter Band. And, you know, they, they played in this Battle of the Band at the Hollywood Bowl, and they won. But she sang a vocal. They did a cover of Ticket to Ride by the Beatles, and a, and a record producer heard her. She was 16. And signed her. Signed her. Not him. But the family wanted. So her, that didn't work. Along with that, and how that played out, even at the age of 21, when she was a multimillionaire with gold records and close to all that, I mean, you know, go back and do it. All that, all along, all that, in the family, it was never her. But... If you looked at her and you watched her and you saw the interviews, you saw her on the stage, you'd never see in a million years that inside of her was this person starving for a love and a perfection that, would, that she said, I, I mean her say that she would rather die than to not do a perfect thing. Um, this, was a, this was a girl that died at 32 years of age from 10 years of battling anorexia nervosa. And on my break, I heard that there was going to be this film festival up in upstate Pennsylvania, and I went all over the place as I, you know, journaled on Facebook. You guys saw me everywhere. But I went up there because I wanted to see the, the documentary on her life uh, called Starving for Perfection. And uh, let's put her up on there, Josh. How, how does, if, if you've heard her, her sing, and you look at these pictures, does, does that look like somebody that, when it comes to feeling loved on the inside, it's just compl a complete vacuum? I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. And I'm talking to Jens, to Gen Jayers of the Gen Z, primarily. When she died, she was 120 pounds. 
which is great, right? Uh, for her body frame and all that, she had put, quickly put pounds on, but too quickly, because when she went in, finally facing that she needed treatment, she was down to 76 pounds. But she lived in a time where people didn't even really know what anorexia nervosa was. I mean, they were actually, sadly, it's because of the popularity of Karen Carpenter that shook people when she died at 32 from this, of what it did to her body over 10 years of starving herself and doing all the things. It, 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 woke, it woke a lot of people up. Sadly, from the tragedy of her life. But, you know, when I, when I watched the documentary, what, and again, the way God has wired my life is, my heart has always been on a quest for this funnel of favor, of which God has graciously in the past, I don't know, uh, five years of my life really taken me and helped me get where my feet are pretty solid in, in a place that I longed for so many years to be. And a lot of my preaching comes from that place. And a lot of my preaching is, as I want to help as many people as I can and talk to everybody I can, I'm talking to not only the down and outers, my heart really breaks for the up and outers because they're not noticed. Because the up and outers come on stage and they're gifted, so-called more, and, and people like, and the, the, the level of the cancerous loneliness that can be in the heart of somebody that is loved and beloved by masses of people and used, whether it's by God or whether it's by companies or whether it's by family or whatever, and to know that after the show's over, it's just you and there's a vacuum inside. The cancerous loneliness of that is, I, 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 and, 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 the, and, and, the, and the thing about it is, again, they're easily overlooked. They're, they're, they could be the homecoming queen. They could be the, the winning quarterback of the homecoming game. They could be the person that's winning in life and, and raising a great family and, and doing it right in the pulpit and have more coming in than going out and everybody's talking and everybody and all that. And, and, and these people too are all over the world and they may not die as she did, but they are dying as she was. And what got me the most as I sat in that theater, and gosh, I didn't know there was a guy that wrote for the Atlantic sitting in front of me and other people from uh, uh, national media, and I'm just sitting in the midst of that, and, and, uh, and I'm listening to this, and Olivia Newton-John says, who was her best pal, she said, Karen was a really good girl. Uh, she loved, she, she was happy, she was funny, you know, and people loved her. It wasn't like there wasn't love around her. But she couldn't grasp love for herself. And I thought, I know you. And I got in my car. And I drove home for Father's Day the next day. And when I got home from my Father's Day dinner, 
on June 19th, I wrote this. I'm back from my trip to see the Karen Carpenter dock. Are you weird like me and... The image inside God, needs his light, needs his light and his voice speaking into its soul. Then the kind words from others can take root as well to complement the light and the voice of God's love that's already taken root. If that hasn't taken root, nothing from the outside ever will. Lord, you've shown me for 10 years now that you wake me up in the morning to give me the words of the disciples to comfort those who are weary. Please may this residing voice and light keep shining. I have my own arrows that have hit me, that I combat. Toxic words of death and affliction accusation and assault without that have been heart-wrenching. I know her and there are many of her in my world. There are many of her in the world of a new generation. Lord, imago day them. Help me to stay in my lane to work in my own studio and kick everybody else out. Believing nourished on the good words and prophecies that you have given to me so I can access the hill of the Lord and abide in the beloved. So, again, I will be a caring communicator of your message in such a way, that's the key for me, People will find this light and be motivated to pursue you and fulfill their life mission in your grace, filled with this beloved spirit. For the marred image holds me back. Takes me away from risking disqualifies me in my own mind from stepping into new things, good things, God things, fear, assumed criticisms when there aren't even any critics, evaluators around me when they don't even exist, triggered by over-magnified moments and mouths of toxic people of my past, makes solid idols of crumbled, crusty nobodies, in light of God's kind intentions for me, his beloved son. I ask you to empower me. For me. And for, the, and for you. And for those like her that are all around me. That instead of feeling for them, I envy them. Send me to point them to your potter's wheel of love. Who told you you were naked? 
Who told you you were ugly? Who told you you were not capable? And what are you doing to cover what they so-called uncovered? What are you hiding? How do you medicate? Oh, we could be here all day if I told you all of mine. Can we just go to the last slide? Gosh, how do I ever think I'm going to preach all the things I write down in here? I've got about six more pages. <laughs> Forget you have a life. Here's what I pray for me and you, that we can say what John said. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. I was ready to close early until I wasn't. They're in the schools. Maybe the best teammate on your volleyball team. Maybe the goalie who will save the game with a diving stop. Maybe you. On the day that you were born, the angels got together and decided to create a dream come true. So they sprinkled moon dust in your hair, golden starlight in your eyes of blue. Ding! I don't know what we do now. This is the part they didn't train you in school. You get to this place and then here's how you walk out into the world of incredible magic from God. I feel the presence of God in here. <laughs> there aren't many things I am totally certain of except one. There's always going to be a train whistle blowing when I preach on my Avenue. We're going to open the altars. You don't have to come to the altar. But I pray that this altar that I believe God has already constructed for us. And you, if you're watching, you're listening. For you. I can't take you there. I can't get you to this. But I have pointed you to this and the Holy Spirit is making an altar for you. Lord Jesus, you know what my prayer always is about. The people that I didn't know carried such things in my world as a high school kid and I didn't know it. I didn't live for you. And I wish I could go back there now. I'll never be able to. I, I wish I could have Rode my red spider bike out in front of Karen Carpenter's house. 
I wish I would have included some of the kids in my circle of friends that didn't have any. I wish I would have been able to realize that everybody walking through those hallways, going into the locker rooms, were in some way just like me. That every pastor, every pastor's family, every, every person that we look to and think, wow, now there's a success, now there's a walking story. That in some way we all have these moments, these parts, and then there's others that are just so, so, you totally get what, you, they totally get this. It's not like they've never asked you to love them. It's not like they've never believed a scripture. But Lord, I pray that by the, the fragrance of your presence and the, the, the flowing oil of your hand, that mercy would just come through those just small, maybe even microscopic cracks and go down in there and may they be surprised by love. Not the love of man or church, but the love of Jesus. Wonderful helper of the faith, Holy Spirit. I just believe right now that you are going to sweep away the doubt, the hurt, the dungeon grip and minister in Jesus' name. Hey, I'll be here at this altar. Be glad to meet you. Pray a quick prayer. Pray a quick prayer with you. Others will be here too. You may just want to process here. I'm sorry for going too long. The probably took into the process time. Sorry about that. But I just pray that you would know that he is longing to be close to where you are. And may a great release of his love come personally to right where you are.